Zorba Pastor on Your Health is pre-recorded. From Buck Studio at Wisconsin Public Radio, this is Zorba Pastor on Your Health. I'm Carl Christensen, and I'm here with family doc Zorba Pastor. We'll spend the next hour with you in our virtual doctor's office. Although, Zorba, we're missing that automatic hand sanitizer dispenser. That yeah, you the exa- you got to position your exactly. hand just that. right to get the foamy goop to come out. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We're missing exactly. that. Well, maybe we'll get one of those. Exactly. Brad, can we get one of those? Yeah, we need we need one, Brad. Okay, that's a thumbs up from He's Brad. He's got it. Thumbs right. up from Brad. <laughs> we'll talk healthy living. We'll walk you through a healthy recipe. We'll get to some of your phone calls and emails and a few voicemails as well. And if you have a question for The Good Doc, the number to call anytime is 800-462-7413. That's 1-800-462-7413. And along with those calls, we'll discuss a few healthy living topics, Zorba. Well, we're going to talk about food and your mood. Mm. You know, now, when you're in a bad mood and you're not in a good mood, do you reach for a Twinkie? Uh, for comfort, sometimes. <laughs> I actually don't have any Twinkies. I haven't had a Twinkie no, in a long time. No Twinkies in the house. But we often do have, quote, comfort food when mm-hmm. we are not in a good mood, especially during those difficult times. We'll talk about food and mood mm-hmm. and what it may mean and some new research about that. And then phenylephrine, a cold remedy that's in so many medicines that's been used for maybe 40 or 50 years. The FDA has unanimously said the drug doesn't work. Hmm. We're going to Take it out of decongestants. Big issue. Why has it been there for so long? What does it mean to you when you've got that cold and sore throat? Wow. And what is our special recipe today? Green coconut curry lentil soup. I like lentils. I like coconut. I like curry. This is a dynamite recipe that is just so delicious, filled with veggies. You're going to love it. I Sounds promise great. you. I You're already love it, it from no the doubt. name of no it. No doubt. All right. To the phones we go at 800-462-7413. That's 1-800-462-7413. 7413. Let's welcome a caller now. This is a listener in Manhattan, New York. Hi. Hi. How can we help? Well, I'm very curious about something. I I had injured my arm. I I just strained my arm doing my exercises. And um, several days ago, I noticed that I had like a little kind of sensation in my chest. And I'm a senior citizen. So I'm very, uh, you know, aware or alert about, uh-huh. you know, new sensations like that. Gotcha. So I, the first day, I didn't pay much attention to it. It was very mild. Mm-hmm. All right. But then the second day, it had sort of moved over across. Uh, it was on the right side of my chest, and it had moved over toward my arm. But uh-huh. it would just, So I let three days go by, and it didn't go away. Mm-hmm. As a yeah. matter of fact, it got a little stronger just it really didn't hurt but it was it was a a very very Mm -hmm. mild pain Mm -hmm. so finally i went to the urgent care got it um, finally you're not a stubborn person you were just waiting to give it some time i thought it would go away you know it wasn't really strong and then it would come and go right no i'm not a stubborn person but i i did get a little frightened about sure, it. Sure, of know, course. It's chest pain. And you're, how old are you? You said you're a senior citizen. How old are you? I'm going to be 90 years old. Oh, my God. You don't sound like you're 90 at all. I look 65. You don't sound like you're 90 at all. that I'm <laughs> going to be 90, but I Well, am. I, can't see you. It's, I can't see you over the radio, but your voice <laughs> does not sound like a 90-year-old voice. And my uh, energy is not like a 90-year-old right. energy. I'm very, very active. I'm athletic. I do exercise every day. I jump on a track. I do the, um, wow. what's it called, the total gym, and I keep myself, I weigh 125 pounds, and I I look great for my age. <laughs> so not, so you went to urgent care, you said? I went to urgent care, and they x-rayed me, mm-hmm. and it's a doctor that I've, I've used before. He's really wonderful. So he said that there didn't seem to be any kind of a mass or anything, and he didn't. I didn't have cancer or anything mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the good news was that it was intermittent. In other words, it came... Mm-hmm. And it went. It came mm-hmm. and it went. Mm-hmm. So that, he said, if it was really something serious, it would be hurting all the time. Uh-huh. Okay. So then the amazing thing is that the very next day, that pain completely went away. I still have a little pain in my arm uh-huh. from, the, from the sprain, mm-hmm. but it's totally gone. Wow. So my question is, why do you think that it moved over 
to to my chest. Well, let me let me. I I've got a, I've got an opinion on this. First of all, the problem with arm pain and the problem with chest pain is that it can be muscular, it can be musculoskeletal, or it can be cardiac. That's always the issue that we look at. And we look at the issue like if you're 18, we think of musculoskeletal no matter what. When you're a senior citizen, we want to make sure it's not from your heart. Now, usually heart disease, angina, which is pain that can go down your left arm, you know, the classical pain, a lot of pain in the chest, discomfort, elephants standing on your chest, that classic idea of what cardiac pain is about turns out to be classic, and it only works maybe 50% of the time. A lot of the time, when there's chest and arm pain, you can have cardiac issues, and you don't know that. In other words, it's mild enough especially in women, especially in older women, where you can't really tell what's going on. Now, heart pain generally will get worse when you exercise. You get on a treadmill, you walk up the stairs, you do stuff, and you go, God, this pain in the arm is really getting bad, the pain in the chest. That's usually what happens to any cardiac pain. Muscular pain is usually positional. In other words, I move my arm this way, and it hurts me when I'm sitting here and I'm moving that. So it's not always that clear when you've got chest and arm pain what it is. So I got a, I have a question for you. Obviously, you're healthy. You've been doing exercise without – does the exercise increase the pain at all when you get your heart Not moving? Not at all. As a matter of fact, I, I, I was curious, and I said, well, I'm going to jump on my – I kept on jumping on my trampoline, okay. but now I jump with the pain. And I said, if it really hurts, I'll stop, you know, but I, it's my routine. I have to do it. Right. I jump. It's perfect. When I jump, I have no pain. And when I do the total gym, you know, the back and forth, mm-hmm. pulling on that, mm-hmm. that thing – Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, no pain whatsoever. Uh, uh, so you saw the doctor. The doctor evaluated. It said it's most likely, uh, you know, muscular. It's going to get better over time. The main thing is you saw someone, and that really is the crucial issue. So the answer is, first of all, the human body. How much do we know about the human body? A lot. How much do we not know about the human body? Even more. So we don't always know what that connection is. So the final answer is, I don't know, except it got better. <laughs> you stumped the doc. <laughs> you don't know why it moves over. It kind of migrates to my chest. I don't know, but hey, you're 90, you're active. You feel good. I have to tell you, I once had a, a trainer, really a trainer, a nice guy. He was trying to get into the National Hockey League. He couldn't, so he came to the University of Wisconsin and became uh, a lawyer, but ultimately a lawyer, but he was a trainer. And I said, why do you guys get, you know, you guys dress up before you bump each other on the hockey? You know, you go there, you're in a suit and tie, and then you go and you smash each other. And he said, look good, feel good, play good. So the fact is, and he said, fact is, you got it. You look good and you feel good and you play good in life. Keep it up. But you see, I really hardly ever drink. I might drink at a wedding or something like that. And I love the Mediterranean diet. I, I, you know, but I have, you know, little bits of cake. Of course. You know, whatever. Of course. And I just, I like to look good. Yeah, and that's good. And when you look good. And I I don't like pain. And the reality, but the reality is part. But part of life, part of life is also looking good. We get dressed up, we're in pajamas all day. We don't feel very good. We want to get dressed up and and make ourselves feel good. That is part of our life. And I remember. I get dressed every single day. I do my makeup if I'm going every single day. That's the way to do um, it. Because I ha- I do it for myself. I have to right. look at myself. Right. That's what you have to look <laughs> at I yourself. I have to like what I see. <laughs> <laughs> Carl's laughing. Yeah, because he didn't do his makeup this morning. I did. That's no. the whole thing. No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> but well, we're thank, on the radio. <laughs> thank you. Thank, thanks for your call. Thanks for sharing that and keep up the good work. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for interviewing me. You're welcome. Bye-bye. 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 Thanks so much for that call at 800-462-7413. That's 1-800-462-7413. All right, Zorba, let's get into our first topic discussion today. On a recent show, we were talking about gluten, and we heard about a listener's experience with it causing him to be angrier. Do you remember that? Oh, that I was, do. In, yeah. fact, in fact, I got emails. Oh, we got a lot. Uh, of emails about this. Yes. Gluten. We, I mean, you know, that's not the only person who said they got angry with gluten. It's sort of interesting that it's, talking about gluten and all of a sudden you get gluten and you feel better. 
This really touched a nerve. We got a ton of emails. We got a lot of voicemails from different right, listeners right. with this experience. I had friends who wrote me about it. Yeah, it's yeah. wild. I've got a friend out in Montana, and he wrote and he said, I've discovered when I get rid of gluten, my I feel much better. Yeah. yeah. So I grabbed one of these voicemails just to kick off this discussion. Let's hear that. This is a listener from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I can honestly say that your food does affect your behavior. Uh, we have a five-year-old who is uh, has a problem with gluten, and we removed it from her diet, and behavior has changed dramatically. Eating patterns have improved. Uh, we just can't say enough that, you know, that the doctor that we have had told us that she was uh, had celiacs, and we were able to get her off the gluten, and basically the whole family's off of gluten because of her. So, yeah, I would honestly say that gluten is bad, and does affect your behavior. Thank you. So we always hear you are what you eat. What about you? F- you will feel what you eat. <laughs> I think is there you research are what about you this? eat. That's kind of a fifties thing. <laughs> you are what you eat. So That's if old. I eat Twinkies, right. I will become a Twinkie. That's right, <laughs> Twinkie. But what about you'll feel what you eat? I mean, is there, well, what there, kind of research there, I mean, is out there? I mean, there about I mean, this? the reality is there is some research about it, and there's questions about it, whether or not the the stuff that we use you call comfort food. And if you look at snack food, it is comfort food, mm-hmm. and snack food is you know during the COVID, snack food boomed. And I don't know if you read about it recently, but Twinkies, well, uh, a number of years ago, Twinkies were going off the shelf because the Continental Baking Company in Chicago that was making them uh, went bankrupt. And mm. for about eight months, did you know that? There no. were no Twinkies on the shelves? No. There were no Twinkies, Ho-Hos, Hostess Cupcakes? Oh, really? Wow. You I didn't know they were off I the miss shelf? I out on this? I mean, I, I usually I, don't buy that stuff, okay. but I, I thought Obvi- I heard about it. Not. I occasionally <laughs> buy a Hostess cupcake. I mean, I was addicted to them when I was younger. <laughs> and when they were going off the shelves, I went and bought one or two of them. I can't remember just to make sure. But anyway, yeah. what happened is Twinkies then just recently got sold to Smuckers, the Smuckers Jam ah, Company gotcha. that is now doing because Twinkies sales are booming. Hmm. And they're booming because they're comfort food. But recent studies have shown that they may not be actually the thing that gives you the most comfort. There's been some research on that that shows that nutrient-dense food might be much better. And there was a study that came out a few years ago. About 12,000 people followed for seven years. One of those longitudinal studies that looked at the consumption of fruits and vegetables, the consumption of nuts, whether or not people actually felt better after they ate those foods versus comfort food. Foods, which basically are high sugar, high salt foods. And this particular study showed that people felt better after they ate nutrient foods. Now, I have a problem with the study. The Uh-oh. study is very interesting, but I have a problem with the study. You know, I know you'll be shocked, but not all science is good. I mean, <laughs> are you shocked by that? No. That, you know, science. You've said that so, before. I've said that before. Yeah. So the problem with the study is maybe people who naturally felt better were eating fruits and vegetables and nuts, not because they were eating fruits and vegetables and nuts, but because they didn't feel stressed as much mm. as people are running for the Twinkie. I see. You know, are running for the chips. Mm-hmm. And so... Really, but I do think that food does affect us. I know that when uh, anyone feels bad in my family, if I make matzo ball chicken soup, everyone feels good eating it because it just reminds us of that's what we eat Mm -hmm. when we're trying to comfort each other. So I think comfort foods are related to the emotional attachment we have to the food, not just to the salt and the sugar, with one exception. The Twinkie. (laughs) Back to the Twinkie, huh? Back to the Twinkie, (laughs) which I believe last time I looked at approximately 42 ingredients in it. I'm not exactly (laughs) sure. Uh, And I've been told because I've read about it, it really does not last forever. The shelf life is only 180 days. Oh, okay. So, yeah, but it probably does last forever. And, you know, we're going to do that on the show. We are going to get a Twinkie. And we're going to keep it. Should we just set it right here? We're going to keep it right there. And and in about two to three years, we are going to open up that (laughs) Twinkie and see if it tastes just as good or just as bad as Twinkies. Are we going to flip a coin to see who has to eat that? No, we're going to cut it in half. Come on. (laughs) We're both going down. Okay. We're both going (laughs) down. Exactly. So if you have a question... Now, 1-800-462-7413. That's 800-462-7413. Leave us a voicemail. Call anytime. Anytime. And speaking of voicemails, let's hear one of those. This is a voicemail from McHenry, Illinois. My question is related to oils that are edible and which ones are the best for your heart health. 
for omega-3. I know there's omega-3 and omega-6. I have avocado oil, olive oil. I don't know how many. There's canola oil, corn oil, etc. Thank you. Well, the best oil for your heart is olive oil, hmm. hands down. Most research, really good. Tastes good, feel good, is good. So mm-hmm. I go to olive oil. Canola oil, very, very good. Canola oil is excellent. Those are the things that we have really the most research. When it comes to corn oil uh, and other vegetable oils and soybean oil and cottonseed oil, uh, the research really doesn't show that it's, you know, that it's cardiac healthy. So I recommend olive oil and canola oil for most of your needs. Peanut oil, there's some research that shows it's good. It has a higher smoking point. And most or a lot of Chinese food is made with peanut oil because olive oil tends to smoke and tends to uh, heat up and smoke at a lower temperature. And peanut oil, you can get that wok much higher and it's not going to smoke. So peanut oil may also be good for some stir fry. I hope that I hope that answers you. Yeah. You like olive oil? I love olive oil. Yeah. I love dipping bread in it, putting dipping some seasoning in, in there. It's oh, wonderful. I'm best. hungry. Let's have some olive oil. Let's bring it out. Although, what about butter? We didn't discuss butter in this. <laughs> Is butter good for you? Well, that's another. <laughs> maybe that's we'll another maybe story. we'll dip our three year old Twinkie in olive yeah, oil that, and see oh, if that'll save God, it. Oh God, you know, you know. It'll if you go to the Iowa <laughs> Strait, but if you go to the Iowa Strait Fair, you can buy deep fried Twinkies. Oh, I've heard that. Yeah, I haven't tasted that. I've never had one. Maybe we'll get an Iowa listener to call in about those. Hey, Iowa, tell us. It's about a deep-fried Twinkie. That's exactly it. <laughs> 800-462-7413. That's 1-800. Kind of disgusting, but I bet it tastes good. It's got to be good. 462-7413. All right, before we take a quick break, Zorba, let's hear from your favorite backseat drivers, the Grammar Police. And actually, Zorba, this one comes from a division of the Grammar Police we've actually never heard from. Yeah. This is from the Couscous Police. Oh, the Couscous yeah. Police. Do you remember okay. hearing? I don't think we've yeah. heard from no, them. No, we've not heard from them. Right. They've been silent. <laughs> yes. They've been silent. Well, been they're silent. speaking Always now. Always listening, yeah. A listener named Ellen writes, Zorba, there's no such thing as Israeli couscous in come Israel. But I buy this stuff and it says Israeli couscous. I mean, in, really. Well, Ellen's saying there's no such thing as Israeli couscous in Israel. Oh, got it. It's called petitim. Couscous in Israel. Are you sure you're pronouncing that correctly? I made myself a pronouncer. Try to, go ahead, go for it. Say it again. Petitum. Petitum. That's probably the way it's pronounced. Yeah. And if not, please, somebody please should us call know. us and let us know. That's right. We've got Ellen, to correct Carl so that his Hebrew can be improved. Exactly. Yeah, Ellen, Ellen continues, couscous in Israel is called? Petitum. Couscous. <laughs> Petitum comes in different shapes, including no, no. couscous comes in different shapes, <laughs> including little stars of David. We're not there when, so we call so it we're Petitum. we're in Madison. Okay, okay. And, uh, stars of David. Go ahead. Yep, orzo shaped, uh-huh, orzo which shaped. is actually lovingly mm-hmm. called mm-hmm. Ben Gurion's rice. Ben Gurion's rice. Mm-hmm. Okay. In the early days of the state, rice was not available, so the government marketed orzo to oh. be used as rice. Oh. Ellen continues. Commonly, that's a very interesting history. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. This is uh, this is the Couscous Police. They're, yeah, they're right. illuminating us right now. This yeah. is great. Couscous Com- historians. There you go. Yes. Commonly, petitum is browned in a heavy pan with oh. onion and Ooh, herbs delicious. in olive oil mm-hmm. and a little bit of butter. Add water or chicken broth. Cover and cook as oh, usual. That, that is a great good. idea. I'm going to try. Now, have you ever had? Have you you know what Israeli couscous is? I. Well, you know what couscous is. Sure, I've had that. Couscous, yeah. I mean, it is a pasta. Mm-hmm. And the Israeli, what I call it, what we call Israeli couscous is just bigger. They're bigger little balls. Okay. Kind of, well, the only ones I've seen are balls. Obviously, there are other ones, little round things. But this idea of cooking it uh, with onions and other things, we're going to do a recipe. That Let's do really that. Good. We've got to do that one of the one of the next shows. Maybe Ellen will send I us a recipe. That. Actually, maybe Ellen will send Ellen, us a recipe. Ellen, this. if you're listening, send us a recipe. Or anyone named Ellen can step up to the plate and send us a it has to be from an Ellen? with Israeli. Only we only will take Ellen recipes. Okay, so only you've got your name it has to be Ellen. It could be Ellen for a day too. But okay. we will take Ellen recipes for couscous. There you go. Sold. Did Zorba get something wrong on the show? Of course. Don't let him cruise through the show on cous control. 
Write him a ticket by posting on our Facebook page or by sending us an email at Zorba at WPR. That's a stretch.org. I'll tell you, advertising. You know, advertising. Oh, we'll see. More of your calls to come, more listener emails, and we'll be trying out a coconut curry lentil soup recipe. All coming up on Zorba Pasture on Your Health from PRX. Christensen in the studio with Dr. Zorba Pastor on Zorba Pastor on Your Health. The number to call anytime is 800 462 7413. That's 1 800 462 7413. But before we get back to those phone calls, Zorba, green coconut curry lentil it's soup. Great. There's a lot it's of words great. there. It's well, it's a lot of words. A lot of words, but it's a good soup. Nice lentils, words. I like all this stuff. Lentils, by the way, are really a high-protein vegetable dish. They mm. really are. And lentils are very good. They're used in lots of Indian cooking because they're inexpensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're easy to cook. We don't cook enough lentils in America. We don't think about that. This is a great recipe. So I think everyone should consider trying it. It's got lots of stuff in there, but you know, sometimes it's a lot of stuff. You just take another five minutes and you like everything up. That's what I do, you know, on, you know, in your kitchen, and then you go to work and you have fun. It's all good stuff, though. It's all good stuff. Yeah. Start out with a tablespoonful of olive oil. One big tea olive oil. I always use extra virgin because I love it. I've got two or three kinds of olive oil. Some are more pungent than others. That's the kind I would use. Mm-hmm. A half an onion diced. Half an onion diced. Two garlic cloves minced. Two garlic cloves minced. Two cups of cauliflower florets. Two cups of cauliflower florets. Two cups of cubed sweet potato. That's about a lot sweet potato. About a one large sweet potato. Two cups of cubed eggplant. That's a small eggplant. One small eggplant cubed. A big tea of fresh ginger. One big tea fresh ginger grated. A big grated. tea of fresh turmeric, and I pronounced you did it, it correctly. You did it. Hooray! Hooray! <laughs> one big tea fresh turmeric grated. Three tablespoonfuls of green curry paste. Three big tea green curry paste. And that you've got to buy in an Asian grocery store, or if you've got a big grocery store, that have a cup of green lentils. A cup of green lentils. A can of full-fat coconut milk. Do not use the low-fat. So it says one can of full-fat coconut milk and, and then a can. of light coconut there milk. There you go. You one see? of each. So, what we've so you're done, cutting down the fat a little cutting bit? Cutting down the fat a little bit. But using some fat. There you go. Uh, two cups of water. You're going to use maybe a little bit more. Two cups of water. Two cups of spinach or green kale. Two to three cups spinach mm-hmm. or green kale. That's Tom right. would love that. And, uh, Tom, would, Tom <laughs> would love that. That's right. Cilantro if you like it, hot peppers if you like it, and of course, salt and pepper. That sounds great. Let's make it. Heat the oil in a large stock pot or a Dutch oven. Add the onions and garlic, saute until it's just beginning to soften. And what I do with this is I First of all, I put in the onions, I let it soften, and then I only put in the garlic for a minute because the garlic can be overdone, Mm. and it takes about 30 seconds for a minute to kind of pop and open up. So do the onions. When the onions are ready, put in the garlic for the last minute. Then add the cauliflower, sweet potato, eggplant, saute for another few minutes. Then add all the spices, the curry paste, salt and pepper, lentils, and continue to stir for one to two two minutes. Get the whole thing covered in the oil. Then all of the liquid, the coconut milk, into the pot. Stir, bring it to a boil. Cover it, reduce and simmer for about 30 minutes till the lentils have cooked. And the sweet potato is fork tender. The sweet potato is going to take a little bit longer. Add a little more water. If you need it, remove it from the heat, stir in the greens, continue stirring it so the greens have wilted and serve immediately. Mm. Immediately. It's really good on its own. It's a wonderful soup. Put a little bit water if you need it. Put a little bit less water. I always have some veggie broth in the refrigerator to add a little bit if I need salt and adding salt. I often add a little veggie broth to it. Mm -hmm. And this is green coconut curry lentil soup. Wonderful any time of year. If you want a copy, do not write us because we will not answer you. But go to Zorba Pastor on Your Health. That's right, Zorba Pastor on Your Health or Facebook.
800-462-7413. That's 1-800-462-7413. All right, let's go to a caller now. This is a listener in Estero, Florida. Hi. Hello. I'm calling because I finally have to do something about my carpal tunnel. And I came across this procedure. I don't know if it's brand new. It's new to me. It's an incisionless, ultrasound-guided approach. And they um, use an ultrasound, I guess, to guide a um, needle and a thread into your wrist and hand. And then they cut the nerve with this thread. And the downtime is a lot less. It's like a two-week recovery. You are not put under general. It's just local anesthesia or, you know, whatever, pretty much numb you up real good right in the hand. And that's it. But um, I was just wondering, are the results as good? Have you heard of it? What are your thoughts in general? So first of all, I haven't heard of it, but let me tell you what they do uh, in carpal tunnel. So first of all, they don't cut the nerve. What they do is they cut the ligament. And so you've got an extra ligament kind of an extra ligament, on your wrist that hold the carpal bones. There, there are six carpal... Yeah, one, two, three, four, five. There are a whole bunch of carpal bones. Six or eight. I always have to count them through. There are eight carpal bones. And what happens is there's a tunnel that the median nerve goes through. And when, the, when it becomes compressed, the medial nerve, median nerve then becomes really irritated. And so the nerve has to be, you know, has to be not touched. And you open this up so the tunnel opens up. And they don't put you under general anesthesia. That's never done. It's all done under local. I've had carpal tunnel to my hand. There's no. It's not general anesthesia. What they do is they put you under local anesthesia. They don't even put you. It's not even like a colonoscopy. You know, you go in. It's a very simple procedure. It's a very very small cut in the skin, and it's done, uh, and it's safe. I would never have this done myself. I would only have it done the normal way myself. And the reason is you've got a nerve there that is uh, that you don't want to cut under any conditions. So I'm not really sure what the advantage would be for this. So I, I, I'll do some research on it. Uh, and if I change my mind, I'll let you know. But the actual procedure now is so much better than it was 10 and 20 years ago. 10 and 20 years ago, they put your hand in a wrist and they did a giant scar. I've got one in here. My scar, I mean, I always have to look at it, is like about a, is a quarter of an inch. Do you have carpal tunnel syndrome? Yes. Um, and I've been ignoring it for probably decades, and it's gotten to the point where I just have to do something. You know, get it done. So the way you pick yeah. your surgeon, though, is you want somebody who does it all the time. Um, who are you going to have do it? I don't know. I have not really found somebody in my network. Mm-hmm. So um, you, mean you haven't I found be... somebody who does this all the time? Yes. So what I would do is look in your network of who the neurosurgeons are, the orthopedic surgeons, and the hand surgeons. I'd call up and say, how often do you do this? And then find out who does the most, and that's the one to choose. You think I definitely will find someone in my network that does this new procedure? Or no, no. The regular, the regular procedure like I have, okay. the, the little cut. Yeah. But you want somebody who does a very small cut. There's some of the older surgeons that do a larger cut and put you in a wrist splint for two weeks. You don't want that. Okay. You want something that does right. minimal cut, minimal stuff, and how do I get back? So that's where you have to do your research. You don't want to be stuck with somebody who does it the old-fashioned way. You want somebody who does it the new-fashioned way. And they may open it up and then do it with a scope. But I wouldn't trust I – wa- I want them to see the nerve That's what I, so that they don't cut it. Because when they're doing right. it, what they do is they look at the ligament, and they look where the nerve is, and they, don't, they make sure they don't cut the nerve. Right. That's my opinion. Right. So Okay. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your time. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for that call at 800-462-7413. That's 1-800-462-7413. Let's hear a voicemail now. This is a listener in Rice Lake, Wisconsin. Hi. My question is regarding alcohol consumption. I'm wondering what the uh, effect on the brain, especially memory, is on uh, excessive drinking. A uh, cousin of mine in the East uh, is just, I've just found over-consuming, and I'm concerned about her. Uh, so that's my question. Uh, specifically, excessive drinking like uh, 
bottles of wine a day. Yeah, so there we are. Two Bye. bottles of wine a day? I mean, come on, that's excessive drinking. Well, uh, first of all, we know alcohol is not good for the brain overall. Mm-hmm. We know. We know it certainly in a drink a day, good data shows, really probably doesn't do very much. Whether or not you go to two drinks a day, that's kind of even questionable for women. It's generally two drinks a day for men, one drink a day for women. We're talking about a cardiac and a brain point of view. Two bottles of wine a day? Come on, of course. Now, excessive is quite interesting. I remember I had a guy in my office probably about a year ago, and I said, I've cut down. I'm not drinking as much beer. And I said, how much were you drinking? And he said, oh, about a case a day. I oh. said, a case? That's what I said. Just like you said, wow. Mm-hmm. I, th- I said, how did you drink that much? I mean, I couldn't drink a case of water a day That's that much. That's a lot of trips to the bathroom, That's too. That was a, well, my first thought, actually. You know, I mean, but when you're drinking a case a day, you're not aware of how much you're actually going to the bathroom. I mean, and yeah. it's there. And he said, I'm not drinking very much. And in, in Wisconsin, which is really... The state is really uh, a beer-driven culture. That's the reality. When people say, I don't drink very much, I have to ask them what they mean because sometimes they say, well, I only have about six beers a night. And that really is that really is too much. Does it affect your brain? Yes. You know, uh, you know as medical students, sometimes we never use the right uh, correct words. And we would say if somebody, you know, we would talk to each other and say, well, that person has a mental disturbance. They've pickled their brain. I mean, mm. and that's really a derogatory a derogatory term to use. But the reality is alcohol does affect the brain. In the short run, obviously, you're inebriated and you're you know, more likely to get an accident. But in the long run, it definitely causes memory disturbance. And of course, you can develop something called Korsakoff syndrome, which is a whole other thing that occurs with people who are alcoholics. Bottom line, for this person, he's thinking about taking action and trying to help help a relative who's drinking two bottles of wine a day? Mm -hmm. And the answer is yes. Try to help that person get help. Now, what percentage of the people actually succeed if you actually give help? We don't have good data, but I can tell you one thing. If you don't try to help everyone who has an alcohol problem, the answer is zero. If you do try to help everyone you know with an alcohol problem, the answer will be some. More than zero, hopefully. More than zero. Mm -hmm. That's how we got rid of smoking in our society. It's not zero, but it was 60% when I was a kid, and now it's like 16%. And that's because we chip away with it over time. And the same is true. If you know somebody who's drinking excessively, you know what you say? Mm. I think you're drinking too much. That's it. Bring it up. Talk to them. You might make a difference with them. Do not sit by and do nothing because if you do, you will get nowhere. Now, tell me if this is a myth uh, or not. Sure. I've heard that when you go get, you know, you're talking to your doctor and mm-hmm. they say, how mm-hmm. many drinks, a, how many drinks mm-hmm. a week do you yeah. have? Uh-huh. And you give them a number. Yeah. I've mm-hmm. heard that doctors mm-hmm. double it or they're trained to double it. Oh, we definitely it. do that. Is that that's a real thing. It's not a myth. If somebody says they drink three drinks a day, I make an assumption that they may be, that they may be drinking six drinks a day. There's no myth involved because people tend to understate it. They're embarrassed. Mm-hmm. They don't want to tell them how many drinks a day. So if somebody, if somebody says... I'll give some examples. If somebody says, I never touch the stuff, Mm -hmm. then quite often that means they had trouble earlier on. Mm, I mean, at least in in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. That may not be the case in, if you're living in Utah, you know, where I don't touch the stuff is Mm -hmm. because you're uh, you're Mormon and you don't drink anything because that's part of the culture. Now, if somebody says, I've cut down, then I always ask. If somebody says I drink, you know, if they go, well, you know, I occasionally drink every so often. I might have a beer at night. It depends on what people say. Mm -hmm. But if they give me a number... I may double it, but I may ask that. And I may say, really, you're drinking two or three? And if you you then go further, and people often give you the answer because you're giving them permission to Mm -hmm. tell you the truth. And the reality is when you go to a physician, nurse practitioner, or PA, they're your advocate, and you should always tell them the truth, and you shouldn't be embarrassed. I mean, think about it. You undress behind them. You let them see your genitals. You don't let anybody else except the person who you have intimacy with see your genitals. You should be able to tell them everything that's going on in your life, and you will get better medical care. 800-462-7413. That's one 800 462 Seven four one three. All right, before the break, Zorba, you look a little too comfortable over there in your mesh, <laughs> your mesh-backed office chair, sipping your room temperature bottled water. <laughs> Those are. I don't know. Where's my cappuccino? Yeah, Come well, on. we'll get. We'll get can we get one in here? Yeah. Uh, so let's do that segment where you get yelled at. This is a. Uh, this is another edition of disagreeing with the doc. Disagreeing with the doc. Disagreeing 
And Zorba, you're actually not going to get yelled at here. I was just uh, <laughs> exaggerating a little bit. This is a voicemail from a listener in Spokane, Washington. Hi, this is a call for disagreeing with the doc. I'm mad about what Dr. Zorba said regarding anger, that it's always bad. That's not so. Anger can, for example, help us understand our boundaries, can motivate us to take action. It can lead us to understand our fears. It's when anger is misused to control or hurt oneself or others that it's not good. So thanks so much for sharing the great healthy info that you do. And I was just joking about being mad. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. But she actually brings up a good point. Mm -hmm. Anger is an emotion. It is an okay emotion, and it's a a common emotion that we live with with things. And it's acting on the anger that really becomes the issue. So the answer is right. She really brings up a very good point, that anger is always bad, but anger— is something that we have to learn to control with. And anger certainly is a common emotion. We have to figure out how to deal with it. And we do that with our children. Mm-hmm. What do you do when your kids say, when your kids get angry? What do you do? I tell them it's okay to be angry. And that's just a part of, that's yeah. a part of life. Yeah. And you got to so, learn how to deal with so that. So I have a question for you. Do you ever get angry with your kids? I'm not talking about how you act. But <laughs> never. <laughs> never, right? Never, <laughs> never, never. So think about when they're babies and it's 3 o'clock in the morning. They've just got up three or four times. You change them. Yeah. You're, you're, they, or, or you're ready to go out and the kids are there and all of a sudden one kid poops in the pants and you're late. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's right. Yeah. It's like, oh, my God, you pooped in your pants. You say, That's okay, life. Darling, That's life. It's okay. And you're changing the diaper and you're thinking something completely different because right. you're late. That is anger. Mm-hmm. But if you... If you take and you misuse that anger, she brings up a really good sure. point. I mean, you have to then lovingly change your kid's diaper mm-hmm. with poop as you're thinking something else. Right. And then you're late because mm-hmm. you're a parent. Big yep, deal. That's how it goes. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> good point. Do you disagree with the good doc? Let us know by posting on our Facebook page or by sending us an email at Zorba at WPR.org. There is much more of the show to come. We'll have more of your emails. We'll tackle another interesting health topic and more of your calls and voicemails. So stick around. Keep that radio dialed right here. <laughs> Are there a lot of radio dials still? Right here on Zorba Pastor on Your Health from PRX. Carl Christensen in the studio with Dr. Zorba Pastor. This is Zorba Pastor on your health. And the number to call with your question anytime is 800-462-7413. That's 1-800-462-7413. But before we get back to those calls, Zorba, our latest topic here to talk about, a common cold, cold, cold remedy. Yeah, cold, cold remedy, remedy is so ineffective take, according to the FDA. Do you ever take FDA. cold remedies? I'm sure you sure, have in your yeah, life. I right. mean, everyone does. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, it was like corsetin, which was an antihistamine that made you sleepy. Contact, it was a capsule. Mm-hmm. My mother really liked it because little bees in it. And these contain things to decongest you, supposedly to decongest you. Now, a good decongestant that works is Sudafed. What's the problem with Sudafed? It's not over the counter. It's behind the counter because Sudafed can be used to make methamphetamines. Mm. And so you're limited to the amount of Sudafed you can get. Every state has a law. You've got to be over 18 to actually purchase it. You can purchase a certain number of pills. And so it doesn't sell as well. So they've been using something called phenylephrine. Now, phenylephrine has been around a long time, maybe 50 years 75 years. Years ago, the FDA said, we've got to do research on drugs that have been around for a long time and get them off the market if they're not doing anything. Well, they talked about this 10 years ago. They finally did research on phenylephrine, and lo and behold, guess how well it works? Not so good? It doesn't work. It doesn't do a thing. Hmm. There's now very good research. So the FDA advisory committee unanimously agreed that decongestants in over-the-counter medications are ineffective. Wow. So now it goes to the full FDA, and if the FDA rules as it should, that it should be taken off the market, it will then be taken off the market. Well, guess who's unhappy with this? 
Big pharma? Big, well, big pharma <laughs> and small pharma. Little pharma? Because it's, it's in a bunch of things. Yeah. It's in a whole bunch of things. It's in things like Tylenol, cold and flu, NyQuil, Mucinex. Just look at all of these things. Look at the label. And if it says phenylephrine, it's not doing anything. Mm. Now, the other things may be doing stuff. So it may have acetaminophen, which helps helps uh, the fever. It may have something called guaifenesin, which may help a little bit with the cough. But the phenylephrine is not going to be there. And the problem is if you really congest it, get Sudafed, over-the-counter Sudafed or behind-the-counter Sudafed because you have to ask the pharmacist. Or for three to four days, you can use a nasal spray. You can't use it for more than that. Mm. But the reality is this particular drug is going to be off the market. The, the actual over-the-counter medications will continue to be there because they are a $2 billion a year industry because we Americans can't stand it when we're sick and we've got to take something even if it's a placebo. 800-462-7413. That's 1-800-462-7413. All right, let's go back to the phones now. Let's help a caller out in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Hi. Hi. How can we help? Well, I'd like to ask Dr. Zorba a question about my latest condition called slow gut. Slow gut. Tell me about your slow gut. Well, I know that I'm taking some medicines that may slow it down. Mm -hmm. Such as what? I'm taking um, oxybutynin. Right. Uh And you're taking oxybutynin for urinary incontinence, right? Okay. And what's the other drug you're taking? Monjaro. Monjaro. And, and you're taking yep. that for what? My diabetes. For your diabetes. Yeah, that's a GLP-1 for diabetes. Okay, so you're taking both those. And they both can affect your gut. That is the side effect of both of them. They slow your gut. So are you having constipation problems or what? Both. Uh-huh. Um, what, are you doing I, for, what are you doing for well, your constipation? I'll go about nine days. Oh, that's, that's a long time. Mm-hmm. It is. Mm-hmm. And then, if I've taken some Miralax, mm-hmm. it might move things, mm-hmm. but it's very uncomfortable. Oh, terrible. Yeah, um, it's got to be awful. All I want mm-hmm. is to be regular. Yeah. So but... let, let's talk about that. So I have a question. Yeah. Prior to this, let's go back 10 years, 20 years. How old are you? 71. God, you don't sound like 71. sound like you're in your 30s. I don't act like it either. <laughs> you sound like you're in your 30s <laughs> or 40s. Uh, let's go back 10, 15 years before you're on these meds. Many people have a bowel movement every day, but some have a bowel movement every three days, and others have three bowel movements a day. I mean, that's kind of where it tends to be. So how often did you usually have a bowel movement? Every day, every other day, every third day? I'd go every other day. So we want to get back... Back to that. That's really the goal. Now, do you take Miralax every day? No. Okay. Question. Do you ever take, have you ever taken Metamucil? Yes. And how long did you take it for? Not very long. I don't take anything for very long. Mm -hmm. It seems like I don't mind Miralax because Mm -hmm. you can't taste it and I can put it in my coffee. That's right. No, you can't. You can put it anywhere. So I've got two uh, two things that you can do. First of all, what I would do is I would initially just take Miralax every day. Like you say, Miralax really doesn't have a taste. You take a scoop of Miralax every single day, see what happens, okay? If nothing In happens... Doesn't, or at bedtime. Either way makes no difference. It's just going to keep fluid in your stool. Now, let's assume nothing happens with that. Double the Miralax. Instead of once a day, take it twice a day. Find out what the dosage is. The dosage <clears throat> may be a cap twice a day, or it might be two caps in the morning. But you've got to make sure you have enough fluid after you take the Miralax to make it work. So you have to have a, like a, a mug of coffee and have two mugs of coffee. See if that works. If that doesn't work, add in addition to that Metamucil every day or every other day. Now, Metamucil, as you know, is a gritty taste because it's insoluble fiber. And so it's gritty, but it'll give some structure to the stool. So you're going to get water and fluid through Miralax, and you may have to get structure with Metamucil. But chances are, 80 or 90%, if you just take Miralax every day, you're going to solve your problem. And then you figure out how much Miralax you need. But once you do it, it takes a day or two every time you make a change to adjust it. But once every nine days, forget it. That is way too much. We could, If you did that, you could probably get to an every other day poop. 
Because you're on the drugs, you're on two drugs that are decreasing that ability to move stuff through your gut. And you were you were you didn't have a lazy gut, but you had a gut where you pooped every other day to begin with. So you went, you know, you're naturally going to every fourth or fifth day, and that's and that's not good for you. No, it's not. Soften the stool, and chances are it'll work with it. With it, but it, but it may you may need a little fiber in there with Metamucil. So you've got two things you can manipulate, and you know what? When it's done, give us a call back and let us know. Oh, I'd like that. Yeah, and so would our listeners. We have when we talk about poop, we get lots of emails. We do about poop. Yeah, you know we've never had the poop police actually write us the notes. (laughs) Don't tempt (laughs) listeners right now. Come on, you're playing with fire here. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, thanks for your call. Really, let us know what's going on. Take care. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Eight hundred four six two seven four one three. That's one eight hundred four six two. Seven, four, one, three. All right, Zorba, we always appreciate our listeners posting on the Zorba Pastor on Your Health Facebook page. So time again for Facebook feedback. Facebook feedback. All right. First up, Zorba, we hear from a listener in Hunters, Washington, who writes, Dr. Pastor, a family member has chronic pain. How do you feel about taking CBD as a remedy for pain? Try it. See if it works. I don't think there's a downside. Um, I don't have a lot of faith in CBD, but on the other hand, that's because we don't have a lot of research in CBD. So, yeah, try it. Absolutely. And finally, Denise in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, asks, What was the title of the book you suggested to a woman on the show about a year ago when she called about (laughs) life with her husband who was terminally ill? She was talking about how he wanted to keep doing things that she felt were too hard for him to be doing. The book, I think, was written by a terminally ill patient. Thanks for your help. You know, I read so many of these books. I'm a voracious reader. Half my reading is through Audible. The other half are through my eyes. Uh, and, And so I don't remember which specific book it was, but I kind of read them and they blend together. And I've got some good advice. First of all, You've got to keep as vibrant as you can. I think people look at hospice as something negative. And the reality is hospice, when you decide if somebody is terminally ill, really it gives you another view of life. And the view of life then is, what can I do now to make myself happy versus what can I do now to keep my life longer? So if you're terminally ill and you want to do things within a structure that you're not going to fall and hurt yourself, by all means do it. Why do we limit chocolate candy, chocolate case, and chocolate ice cream in nursing homes around the country to people who are terminally ill? We shouldn't. Mm -mm. We should let them do that. So I think the answer, if you're working with anyone terminally ill, is number one, safety. Are you safe? And number two, joy and happiness. What gives you joy and happiness? And if you think they can't do something, such as ride a skateboard— I think you got to tell them not to do it. On the other hand, if you can find something else because they like the thrill of going fast, put them on a four-wheeler with somebody else who knows what they're doing and give them a ride. Sure. That's the way to Roller do coaster, it. Roller coaster, maybe? Apps. Roller coaster is great. Thanks for all the Facebook comments. And if you have a healthy living question for the good doc, just post on our Facebook page or just send us an email at Zorba at WPR.org. That's 1-800-462-7413. All right, before we head out Zorba, let's pry open the Zorba Pastor on Your Health inbox and take an email from a listener named Mike. Mike writes, Dear Dr. Zorba, I recently began to enjoy an occasional premium cigar, two to three per per week, Which has proven to be a nice way— Two to three per week. Per week, yes. Not Not per per day. Well, this is where definition comes in. When -hmm. when you said occasional cigar, I assumed it was like once every month or so. This is two to three three cigars per week. Very important. Okay. Yep. Mike says, which Mm -hmm. has proven to be a nice way to slow down, relax, Mm -hmm. and enjoy an array of new flavors, all while appreciating the art it takes to create each handmade cigar. Shortly after I took up premium cigars, the FDA and the Cigar Association of America, the CAA, wrapped up, I don't know if that's a pun, wrapped up a (laughs) long-fought battle on whether premium cigars should be regulated in the same fashion as other smokable tobacco products. 
The CAA prevailed and, at this time, premium cigars will not be subjected to FDA regulation. And tax. Has a lot to do with tax. But really? You bet. All this tax involved. Okay. Cigarettes are taxed differently than cigars. It's a money issue. Gotcha. Who do you think was on the side of this? Let's let Mike continue here. We'll <laughs> leave that there. Mike says, while I appreciate the CAA and cigar aficionados alike are celebrating this ruling, I also appreciate this legal ruling may not necessarily speak to the medical risk of premium cigars. Correct. Be it work, exercise, money, sex, food, or alcohol, <laughs> all of which I believe can have some level of potential harm to my health, I strive to live a life of moderation. That said, I value your expert medical opinion on this matter. Despite the recent legal ruling to not regulate premium cigars, what is your medical opinion on premium cigars and how they may impact our health? Tobacco is bad, pure and simple. Two to three a week, too many. Too many? Absolutely too many. That's way too, that's way too many cigars. You know, having an occasional cigar, what is an okay occasional cigar? Well, you know, if you have one a month, you know, how much is it going to hurt you? Although there are people who say correctly that one a month is still too much, still especially too much. if you have heart disease because a cigar, I mean, I occasionally smoke a cigar. I haven't done it in a long time, but it lasts a long time. And you do inhale. You say you don't inhale, but you inhale because there's passive smoke. A little that bit you have gets it. in there, right? But two to three a week is a lot. Whether or not it's premium or whether or not it's a junk cigar is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. It is tobacco leaf, and that's what it is. So unfortunately, you may think it's okay to do, but it really isn't okay to do. What's the risk of two to three a week? Certainly the same as working in a smoky bar in states where you're still allowed to smoke and work in a bar. I would put it, I would put it in that. It's, just, it's probably equivalent to being in passive smoke many days a week. Hmm. Was it Freud who said sometimes a cigar email is just a cigar email? <laughs> Didn't he say that? I thought he said that. All right, have a healthy living question for the good doc. You can light them up on our Facebook page, or you can always send us an email at Zorba at WPR.org. Should we do this again next week, Zorba? I hope so. All right. If you, missed, <laughs> if you missed anything during the show or you just want to stream the show online anytime, visit us on the web. At ZorbaPastor.org. And don't forget, you can find us through Facebook. Zorba Pastor on Your Health is a production of Wisconsin Public Radio. It is not intended as a medical diagnosis, so please do check with your doc. Our executive producer is me, Carl Christensen, and our technical director is Brad Kohlberg. Our theme music is by Leo and Ben Sidron. For Zorba Pastor, I'm Carl Christensen asking you to join us on the next Zorba Pastor on Your Health. Did you miss something on today's show? Simply go to ZorbaPastor.org to catch up on all things Zorba. There you will find recipes from the show, links to the Facebook page, Zorba's Healthy Living articles, and you can subscribe to the weekly podcast. On the web, that's zorbapastor.org.